The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Blessings. I'm excited to get into the Word today. I know that we have great things in store for us as we get into the Scripture together. We're going to trust and believe that God is going to reveal great and fantastic things to us. Uh, wherever you're at, I want to encourage you to take your Bibles out, uh, materials for note-taking. Uh, write some things down as God stirs things in your heart or reveals things to you. Make a note of those things. It helps us to recall those things. It helps to uh, give them a place in our minds and in our hearts. And also, it's an opportunity for us to revisit those things later on as God continues to reveal His truth to us. As we get into the Word today, we're going to find a few things. I want to give these things to you, things to look forward to as we move through the Scripture together. Uh, one, we're going to find uh, how we need to function in the kingdom of God. Now, there's a way that we need to function in God's kingdom, and the Word reveals it to us. We're going to see that. A second thing we're going to find is why God gives to us. Now, God is giving to us. He's constantly giving to us. He's generous in, in all of his ways. And we're going to see why he gives to us as we get into the scripture. A third thing that we're going to find is why it's safe to trust God. Now, many of us are told that, you know, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. The word instructs us and leads us to trust in God. We'll find why it's safe to trust in God as we get into the scripture. So there, wherever you're at, I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles. We're going to look in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. Now, I want to kind of set things up for you. As we get into Luke, chapter 11, you're going to see that Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to his disciples. Now, that's me, and that's you today. And Jesus is speaking, and he's, he's revealing uh, prayer. I want to talk about this because I believe that God is calling and stirring and drawing us back to a lifestyle of prayer. Now, many of us have had our schedules altered by current circumstances and situations, and I believe that God is, is stirring in us an opportunity to regain intimate fellowship with Him through prayer. So as we get to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 11, we see that Jesus is around His disciples and He's praying. And when he prays, his disciples ask him a question. I want to read from the scripture here. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It reads like this. And it came about that while he was praying in a certain place, he had finished. And one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And I love that Jesus responds with instruction in how to pray. He doesn't just tell them, hey, listen, it's a gift. You either have it or you don't. But what he's revealing to us is that prayer is, is a learned behavior. It can be taught. And his disciples obviously were moved by his prayers. They heard him pray and were so inspired that they would approach him and ask him to instruct them in how to do the same. Now, that's, that's exciting to me. That's encouraging to me. One, it shows me that Jesus, who's our example, has such intimate fellowship with the Father that when he speaks to the Father and others hear it, they're inspired and they're moved to change the way they live and move into the way that, that Jesus lives, that Jesus functions. 
they see how he prays and they're inspired to do the same. And I imagine that it took some courage for the disciples to ask this question. In fact, the word says one of the disciples. You know, I can see the group of them all gathered around, listen to Jesus praying, and they think, man, this is exciting, this is inspirational, I wish that we could do that. And finally, one of them gets up the courage to ask. Hey, Jesus, what is it that makes your prayers different? Why, when we hear you pray, do we feel our our faith rise? Why, when we hear you pray, do we feel inspired? Why, when we hear you pray, do we feel that there's a connection between you and your words in heaven? I think it took a lot of guts to ask that question. I think it took a lot of courage to ask that. And for you and for me, we ought to take that and make the most of it. That someone stood up and asked Jesus, will you please teach us how to do this? It's obviously very effective for you. It's obviously very inspirational when you do it. Will you please teach us how to pray? And Jesus begins to instruct. He teaches and he begins to to tell his disciples how to, to include things into their prayers. Now, he's never intended this instruction to be a mindless repetition. Rather, he's simply acknowledging how he relates to the Father. He opens up by acknowledging that God is his heavenly Father, who is, who is kept holy and hallowed in heaven, that his name is protected, meaning that his name never changes. His names that are revealed through the scripture as healer and provider, as righteousness, and all of these wonderful things that God's word reveals that he is in his nature, who he is in his identity. Jesus begins to reveal throughout this uh, uh, time of teaching how to pray, how to, how to include in our prayers the things that we so desperately need. And they might not be the things that are in our everyday prayer life. Jesus acknowledges God, that he's holy, that he keeps his name holy. And he says, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. He acknowledges the kingdom of God, your kingdom come. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he has a a request. Give us this day our daily bread. That we need God nourishing our lives through his word and his presence. And through his physical provision. And then there's this acknowledgement of other needs in our lives. Forgiveness. I mean, I can tell you as Jesus is teaching us how to pray and I begin to measure my own prayer life, I have to ask myself, how often am I asking for forgiveness? I mean, most of the time I'm asking God for help, you know, help me with this, help me with that, fix this problem, please do that. But Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray and one of the core elements is this acknowledgement of our need for mercy and grace. Give us your provision every single day and forgive us. Help us to forgive others. That needs to be included in our prayer life. Those who have wronged us, don't let us be led by those moments of of hurt or wound. Don't let us be led by insecurity. Don't let us be led by the things that will lead to resentment and bitterness that will result in destruction and sorrow. And there's a call for us as we begin to pray to not only include these things, but to also acknowledge that God's kingdom is where all of the power resides. And as Jesus is telling us to include these things in our prayer, Father, give us your provision. Forgive us as we forgive others. Lead us away from temptation. 
Deliver us out of evil. Acknowledging that God's kingdom is where the power and the glory and all of the the elements of His call upon our life and the fullness of the Holy Spirit abide. These instructions are meant to to not just give us a one-time prayer, but to give us an awareness of the things that need to invade our prayer life. Now, he goes on after he gives this instruction in how to pray, and he begins to speak to his disciples by telling them a, a couple of stories. I think it's interesting that his disciples would hear him pray, they would be moved by his prayer, they would ask for help in how to pray, and Jesus would give them instruction in how to pray, and immediately following that instruction, he would tell them stories. I want to continue to read, you'll see beginning in verse 5, Luke chapter 11, verse 5, Jesus begins to speak. As soon as he's completed the structure of prayer, things to include in your prayer, he, he goes on to say, Now suppose one of you has a friend. And you go to him at midnight and you say to him, a friend of mine has come. He's come from a long journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside the house, an answer will come. Don't bother me. The door's already shut. I and my children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Jesus goes on to say in verse 8, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And he reveals a reason why this is the case. It's a very important thing for us to see in verse 8. I mentioned to you before when we were getting into the Word, the things that we were going to find, how we need to function in the kingdom of God. I believe that's revealed in verse 8. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, he will get up. Because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Persistence. Now, persistence is an amazing word there. I mean, we can take the word persistence and we could build on that. But there's a literal translation that doesn't translate persistent. It translates something else. And I think if we catch that word, we can understand how we're meant to function in the kingdom of God. It's shamelessness. Shamelessness. Jesus, as he teaches his disciples to pray, he sees fit to give them this example of these people who have a relationship. And it's on good terms. They're friends. And there's this this need that enters into the life of one of the friends. And it's not because of the friendship that there's a response. Rather, it's the, the shamelessness. The willingness to go and knock on the door in the middle of the night. The willingness to go and make a request and to ask. The willingness to leave the place of need and go to the place of provision. I mean, Jesus is is painting this picture for people to understand with a story that I think they might even be able to relate to. I know I can. And I have to ask myself, why would Jesus paint this picture? Why would he call me to this life of shamelessness? Is it because even though God is my heavenly father, he won't give me what I need unless I really bug him? That's not what he's saying there. What he's revealing is that in our earthly lives, we're so willing to be shameless over things that really don't matter. 
We're willing to get up in the middle of the night. We're willing to travel a distance. We're willing to go and yell and scream and cause a scene. We're willing to pound on a door all for a loaf of bread so that we're not embarrassed that we don't have anything to offer our guest. He's revealing the pettiness of the things that we're so willing to be shameless about. And as he's teaching us how to pray, he's drawing this as an example for us to look upon our lives in the natural and be inspired to live the same way in the spiritual. That our prayer life is not meant to be this, this religious ceremony, this, this, this uh, uh, empty or, or vain uh, mindless repetition, but rather it's meant to be this connection of fellowship where we're willing to get up and move, where we're willing to go to the place of provision. And when we get to the place of provision, we're willing to make our requests known. We're willing to knock on the door. We're willing to do the things that it takes to receive. It's an interesting example that he gives. And once he gives it, he continues to speak. In verse 9, Jesus says, I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. He goes on to say, for everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Now he goes on now to give another example. I mean, class is in session here. Jesus is sitting with his disciples. They worked up the courage to ask him a question, and he's not disappointed. He's answering their question. He's given them the example in how to pray, how to relate to the Father. Then he's given them an example that they can examine their own earthly lives to see how willing they are to go to great lengths to receive provision for little, empty, vain things. He goes on to offer this encouragement that this is a kingdom principle. When you ask, you receive. When you seek, you find. When you knock, it is open to you. And then he goes on to give another example. He says this beginning in verse 11. Now suppose one of you who is a father is asked by his son for a fish. He wouldn't give him a snake instead, would he? Or if he's asked for an egg... Would he give him a scorpion? No. He goes on in verse 13 to say, If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now to me it's an interesting example. You have to know that Jesus never chases rabbit trails. Everything he says is absolutely intentional. And as he's speaking to his disciples, responding to their requests, their request being how to pray. Not only how to pray, but how to pray like Jesus prays. He goes to give them this structure of prayer. He goes to give them an example to examine their lives. He lets them know of the kingdom principle of asking and seeking and knocking and that there will be response to those things. And then he seals this lesson by speaking of the nature of the Father. Speaking to them as, as if this is the end of the message. This is the big culmination. And I think it's important that we catch that and understand that. That as we pray, as we uh, grow and develop in our prayer lives, that we understand the importance of being aware of the nature of our Father. The more that I've come to know who God is, the more my prayer life has been greatly affected. It's been influenced and even altered. 
I mean, there were days where the tendency was to make demands on God. And now I understand His love and His affection for me requires no demand. So the more that we become aware of who He is, the more effective we are in our prayer. And I personally believe that this is why Jesus' prayers stood out so much to the disciples. His relationship to the Father, His knowledge of who He is and how His love is perfect, unwavering, unconditional, without measure, has had such a great impact on how He communicates with the Father that when the disciples heard His prayers, they were moved and they were in awe. So Jesus, in teaching them how to pray, starts with what they're asking for, the structure. If we stop there, we miss out. He goes on to reveal to them their own nature, their own lives, what they're willing to do and the great lengths they're they're willing to go to for a loaf of bread. Then he addresses the the principles involved in prayer, the heavenly principles that, that... Asking will will lead to receiving and and seeking will lead to finding and knocking will lead to the door being opened. And then he closes this message by revealing the nature of the Father. That God is good, aware of our needs, and he wants to bring satisfaction. Now we need to know and understand that Jesus is an amazing teacher. He starts by answering the question in the way that the disciples are wanting it answered. They hear the structure of how to pray, and I have to think that they're they're taking notes and they're writing things down. And and for a lot of us, that's where it ends. That's the reason why what we've called the Lord's Prayer has become so repeated and has known so much repetition. But the lesson continued. Jesus spoke of our nature, and he spoke of those uh, heavenly principles, and then he spoke of the nature of God. And I have to believe that that's the ultimate point that Jesus was getting to. In teaching the disciples how to pray, his goal was to lead the disciples to an awareness of who the Father is. Therefore, they could be aware of how the Father functions. That he's loving. That he's good. That he desires to meet our needs. That he hears us when we cry. And rather than give us the things we don't want or don't need, his desire is to bless us with the things that we do request and that we are in need of. Now, as Jesus teaches us how to pray, as he leads us and guides us into these things, he makes it very clear that these heavenly principles apply, asking, seeking, and knocking. Now, as we grow in our prayer lives, as we grow in our relationship with the Father, as we continue to pray and continue to intercede, I want to encourage us to examine these things, asking and seeking and knocking. If Jesus has gone out of his way, to include these three elements when he's instructing his disciples in how to pray, we ought to be aware and understand what these principles are and how to apply them to our lives. I want to begin with asking. Now, when we start with the thought of asking God for anything, there's an immediate uh, a, a thought in my mind. I mean, the, the, the brakes are hit and my brain comes to a screeching halt, all because of what the Scripture declares about God. That he's all-knowing. I mean, I'll give you a passage of scripture here that'll explain why I'm saying what I'm saying out of the gospel of Matthew. Matthew 6, verse 8, it reads like this. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. 
So when I consider that, an awareness and an understanding that God knows what I need before I ask him, I have to ask myself, why would he want me to ask him? He already knows. This is where it's important to know God's nature. He's not like men. He's not on a power trip. There's no insecurity. He's not trying to keep you put in your place so that you don't get a big head and begin to rise up. He's included asking in a process of prayer for a reason. Asking does something great in our hearts. In fact, asking requires a state of humility. It's impossible to ask for something or make a request for something and at the same time be making a demand. It positions us to walk in a state of humbleness that is re re rewarded by the kingdom of heaven. I want to give you a passage of scripture here. The book of James, chapter 4, verse 6. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Remember, this entire thing that we're seeking is this prayer to seek after those things which God gives as he's richly bestowing his goodness and his favor and every element of his kingdom upon his people. It begins with the humble heart. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If we see this, we can understand that asking is an important and necessary element to position our heart to be right, to be in a state of receiving from God. An obstacle to this would be pride. If we refuse to put ourselves in a position of being those who receive by asking or by request, if we want to remain in an authoritative position of demand, we're going to find ourselves facing opposition from God rather than receiving the free gift of His grace. I'll give you a passage of Scripture again out of James. James chapter 4 verse 2 as it concerns pride and its uh, prevention of asking. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. If we become those who refuse to ask, rather we remain those who stay in a state of demand, then based on this passage of Scripture we read in James, we'll be those who do not have. Another element that we have to overcome as we ask God, as we begin to pursue the things of His kingdom through prayer, beginning with asking, is a need to overcome unbelief. I'll give you a few passages of Scripture here, again from the book of James, James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. We must ask in faith without doubting. The one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. Now, this is a, a powerful passage of Scripture. It means that as we come before God in our prayer lives, there needs to be an awareness that this isn't a debate as to whether or not God can do anything. The awareness needs to be locked in that God is capable and that he's able. As we submit our request, we do so with the full understanding that there's absolutely nothing that's impossible for him. The moment doubt enters into our life, everything becomes unstable. You may have caught the last part of that passage. Being a double-minded person makes that person unstable in all of their ways. 
Now, for the longest time, I figured being double-minded meant that you were unstable sometimes. But the reality is, if doubt has a place in our heart and in our mind, it removes stability at all times. It's important for us to stand on that stability as we pursue the kingdom of God, as we pursue the things of God, as we grow in fellowship with God through prayer. Another obstacle to asking is sin. Now, I want to say that differently. I mean, we use the word sin very generically. But I want to talk about wickedness. Not just sin when, when something goes wrong and we, we, we realize we were wrong and so we quickly turn away from it. But when we know it's wrong, we don't care and we're going to keep doing it no matter what. Wickedness. I'll give you a passage of scripture here and how that is a hindrance to asking God for anything. Psalm 66 verse 18. If I regard wickedness in my heart. Regard meaning I make a place for it. I embrace it. It's something I'm not willing to change even though I know I should. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, Iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from, from you so that he does not hear. It's pretty hard to ask someone who's not able to hear you. Now, this is where we praise God for the work of Jesus Christ. That we can be cleansed from all sin and all corruption. That we can be washed clean from those things. But I believe that there's a warning here. A loving warning issued to the believer. That if we make a place for evil, God won't be mocked. It's going to affect that relationship, that connection in prayer. Now, here's another obstacle to asking. And I'm sure that this is one that... Uh, you may be familiar with, I know I have been in my life, entitlement. When we feel that we are owed something, it's very difficult for us to make a request for that thing. I mean, I want you to think about something that you own. Maybe it's a, a vehicle, maybe it's a home. Those are things that are great examples because those things come with titles, meaning that you are entitled to that object or that thing. Do you feel the need to make a request for that? Or do you believe that you are uh, owed that because it is yours? Entitlement can come into our lives in a number of different areas and in a number of different ways, and it's a dangerous business. It's one of the reasons why Jesus went out of his way to share with us a very important message that needs to be applied to our relationship with God, especially manifest in our prayer life. I'll give you a passage of scripture revealing this message. John chapter 14 I want to look at verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, whatever you ask, ask in my name. And that I will do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting thing to stop and think about. Too often, I think, we, we read past the concept of Jesus giving us this instruction to ask and to ask in his name. What he's doing is he's liberating us from the temptation or, or the thought of asking in our own name, feeling some sense of entitlement that, that we deserve to be heard in the first place and that we're owed the request that we're making. But Jesus, in all of his goodness and all of his love and affection for us, has offered us his name because to his name, all of those things are due. And it is his name 
where there is right entitlement in the kingdom of God. I'll give you another passage of scripture here. I told you before we're going to find why God gives to us. We're going to see that here. The Gospel of John chapter 16. I want to look at verses 23 and 24. It reads like this. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Now pay close attention. So that, so that your joy may be made full. That's a very big so that. I mean, he's removing the entitlement that might exist in our lives by saying you need to ask and you need to ask in my name. He's revealing the result God will give. And then he's revealing the reason why God will give. Ask and ask in my name. God will give so that, so that your joy may be made full. I want to read the the definition of joy to you. The emotion of great delight caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Great delight caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Why would God want to bring John chapter 16 verses 23 and 24 to, to fruition in your life and in my life? Why would he want to give me the name of Jesus? Why would he want to hear my request, my asking through the name of Jesus? And why would he give me those things so that my joy may be made full? Because my joy being made full is the great delight caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Caused by what? Caused by Jesus. As we use the name of Jesus in making our requests known, laying down all of our own selfish entitlement and taking his name, being completely under his authority, recognizing his place in God's kingdom, when we use his name to make our requests made known to God, we open the door for that fulfillment to come so that Jesus be the source of that great delight. God loves to show off his son Jesus. He loves for our delight to be increased because of Jesus. He loves to hear us praise and give thanks to the name of Jesus. And as he responds to us asking in the name of Jesus, it's Jesus that is the cause of that exceptionally satisfying thing that brings about delight. Now as Jesus is teaching us to pray, he tells us to ask, he also tells us to seek. Now remember, asking is a state of the heart. There's no entitlement. There's no demand. It's a state of humility in your heart. And then he says to seek, and you will find. Seeking is the moving, the positioning required to receive from God. It's impossible to seek for something and and stay the same. Something's got to change. There needs to be a willingness in every believer as we're pursuing the things of God. One, to be humble in heart. Two, to be teachable to be changeable, moldable, pliable. God is working in us to lead us and guide us in the place that we need to go. The question is, when he leads us and guides us, will we follow? It's important. In fact, I believe it's a matter of life or death. I'll give you a passage of scripture. Amos chapter 5 verse 4. It says, this is what the Lord says, Seek me that you may live. If we're unwilling to seek after God, if we're unwilling to move from where we are currently in our relationship with Him to where He's leading us in our relationship with Him, there's going to be trouble. 
Psalm 34 verse 10 says that the young lions do not lack or suffer hunger. Excuse me, cut that. Psalm 34.10 says the young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. The book of Daniel talks about seeking God. Daniel gives the example of his own life as he stands and intercedes for an entire nation, an entire people. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel says, I gave my attention to the Lord to seek Him by prayer and by supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now there's a result that comes from that. And you see it later on. The result is God hears and responds. But that example is really interesting to me because Daniel basically says, I changed my lifestyle and God did something great. I was willing to change. I was willing to move. I was willing to not do things the way I always did them. I was willing to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and I got results. We have that call upon our lives. I love how Daniel worded that. So I gave my attention to the Lord to seek him. If somebody were to ask me, Pastor Preston, how do you seek the Lord? I would say, well, Daniel gave the instruction and he said to seek the Lord, you need to give your attention to God. So I gave my attention to the Lord to seek him. And the result is God's instruction being revealed to Daniel and him carrying out that instruction with powerful results. Now, seeking has some obstacles. I'll give you a passage of scripture here out of the Psalms. Psalm 10 verse 4. It says, the wicked and all of their haughtiness don't seek God. All of their thoughts are, there is no God. For us to seek God, we need to keep fresh in our mind and our mentality, stirring inside of us all the time that God exists, that He is. That might sound silly or trivial, but it's in the scripture in Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The one that comes to God or the one that seeks God, the one that moves from where they were to where God is, the one that comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. We need to acknowledge that God exists and that He rewards those who are willing to move from where they're at to where God is leading them. Jesus gives us these examples to ask, to humble our heart, to seek, to be willing to be led. And He tells us to knock. Knocking, in my opinion, is one of the most difficult things to do in fulfilling Jesus' instruction to, to seek God, to, to, to ask, and, and to receive from God. When he comes to knocking, it sounds like a simple task, but it's going to require something that most people need a lot of help with. In fact, we need the Holy Spirit. Knocking is submitting to God's timing. I mean, I want you to think for a moment. If you know you need to go make a request, so like Jesus' example, you go, you get up in the night, you go to the place you need to be, your heart's humbled, you know you need to ask, you can't make any demands, you've made the trip, you've traveled, you've asked and you've sought, and now you knock. What comes next? You wait. God's called us to have a humble state of heart. He's called us to be willing to move to where the point of provision is. And then he's required us in all of his wisdom to have a heart that's willing to knock. Meaning we acknowledge, hey, I'm here. I came to the place of provision. 
and now await for your perfect timing. This can be a tremendous challenge. I want to give you a few passages of scriptures. Psalm 25 verse 3. Indeed, none of those who wait for God will be ashamed. Psalm 147, 11. The Lord favors those who fear him, those who wait for his loving kindness. I mean, when we are knocking, it means we've come to the point that God's led us to, and now we're going to wait for him to do what he said he would do, to make his provision known. Now, the obstacles here are obstacles that I believe we're all familiar with. Impatience. Impatience will keep us from standing there. I've often gone, knocked on a door. Well, they didn't come, so I bolt. And I miss them because I'm not willing to be patient. Hebrews 6.12 tells us of wonderful men and women of God throughout the Scripture who have received wonderful things from God. And it says they received those promises through faith and patience. Believing that God would make good on his word and then the willingness to wait for him to do so. Another obstacle is pride. I mentioned before that we're going to find why it's safe to trust God. I want to find that out right here as we close. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to look at verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter chapter 5 beginning in verse 6. It says, therefore, humble yourself under God's mighty hand, meaning get rid of pride. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he might exalt you at the proper time. Timing is everything. First of all, that needs to be encouraging to us, that when we will walk in that humility and when we'll wait for God's timing, that he will exalt, that he will make his provision known. That passage of Scripture continues into verse 7. And it says that we're to cast our anxiety, all of our cares upon Him, because He cares for us. When I mentioned to you before we were going to find why it's safe to trust God, there it is. I can trust God because He cares for me. All of His thoughts are for my benefit. All of His thoughts are for me to grow and to mature. All of His thoughts are for me to be molded into the likeness of Jesus Christ. All of His thoughts are at work in my life for my benefit. And all of His thoughts towards you are for your benefit. I want us to come to a place where we celebrate what God's called us to that he would teach us how to pray, how to grow in fellowship with him, and that our heart would walk in the conditions that bring about the results that inspire. That when you and I pray, just like the disciples would witness Jesus pray, they would be moved and say, will you please teach us how to do that? My desire is for us to be a people who pray with understanding, who pray with awareness, who pray with such fervency, that the results are inspirational. A people who ask, a people who seek, and a people with the stability and the patience to knock. Wait on God's timing. I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your favor. We rejoice that you have taught us and led us in your word. 
And we ask that your word would have a wonderful and powerful effect in our hearts and in our minds. Let us be transformed from mentalities that would be filled with pride and demand, that would be arrogant, that would be impatient. Deliver us from those things and lead us into the state of humble hearts and to the state of open minds, to the state of a willingness that allows you to work in our hearts and in our minds to do wonderful and powerful things. Lead us and guide us to the place of asking and seeking and knocking with understanding that we with humble hearts would submit our request to you, that we willing to move would seek after you wherever you would lead, that we who are willing to knock would be patient and wait for your perfect timing, trusting and knowing that you keep your word. And let the results be revealed to us and all of those around us, that your goodness and your favor is for us, that our fellowship with you is not empty or vain, but that our relationship with you is prosperous and life-giving. We bless your name, and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.